Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello and welcome to Truth and Liberty, our live cast on this Monday evening. It's so good to have you with us. I'm Mark Cowart sitting in for Andrew Womack and we have an awesome program for you tonight. We have Colonel Sean Smith, who's now retired. And I'm especially excited because uh, Sean has been with us at uh, our Culture Impact Team meetings that we have at Church for All Nations. We're gonna be talking about election integrity. And I just believe you're going to be blessed by what we discussed tonight. And before we get started, of course, Richard Harris, who holds everything together here and does all the heavy lifting. So you've got some uh, things to share with us, Richard, before we actually get into our interview tonight. Yeah, thank you, Mark. So good to have you. Good to have Colonel Smith with us. And, and yeah, we've got some important information to share. So first, let me just say thank you to all of you who are watching tonight. This is going to be a really important live cast. I think it's going to be one that you're going to want to go back and watch uh, maybe more than once. Be sure to share with your family and friends and uh, maybe get out a notepad and take some notes tonight. This is going to be one of those uh, times when we all need to go to school and learn some things. But uh, really excited uh, about what lays ahead. Hey, listen, if you're watching on Facebook or social media, we want to encourage you tonight to watch live on our website. It's going to be the most reliable experience for you and the, and the least likely to be censored by big tech. Uh, and speaking of our website, uh, if you haven't checked out our resources page, please do that. It's designed for you. It's designed to give you resources and information that you can use uh, uh, to become more equipped and better prepared to stand up for biblical truth in the public square. This week, I've just added four or five new resources, including George Barna's latest survey results on millennials. Uh, and I'm telling you, this is a sad report. I tell you, this is a harvest field for us, folks, millennials. They are hurting and they're desperate and they need the gospel. Check out that report in our resources as well as um, a new manual called Biblical Citizenship in Modern America put out by Rick Green in the Patriot Academy. I am so excited about this resource and, and the, the potential that it has to literally equip the church to make a huge difference in America. That's just one of many things. So check that out. We've got some great events coming up here at Andrew Womack Ministries, including one of the best dramas of the year, The Heart of Christmas. This is going to be on December the 10th through the 12th, which is right around the corner. Uh, go online at awmi.net and register today to get your tickets and come out for that uh, beautiful musical pageant and celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to have more lights than ever here at the campus at Karis Bible College. Just bring your family and your friends. You won't regret it. It'll be a great time. 
also a live nativity uh, December 16th through the 19th. So you can come back and view that as well. And that's a really special treat too. So, uh, and I wanted to mention the Phoenix Gospel Truth Conference. This is one of the annual uh, meetings that Andrew holds uh, uh, around the country. This one in Phoenix is right after the first of the year. It's January 6th through the 8th. And uh, this is a, uh, a big conference with a, a lot of very special ministry that takes place. I, I don't have in my notes who's joining Andrew this year, but check that out online at awmi.net uh, uh, slash events. Again, it's January 6th through the 8th in Phoenix. <clears throat> um, if you're not a subscriber to the Truth and Liberty uh, email and blog, you need to be. I'm telling you, we provide uh, content that you can't get anywhere else. Analysis, news updates, and other things like that that will, again, help you to be uh, more effective as you stand for truth. And if you subscribe uh, tonight, you'll be eligible to receive our free product. Every week we give away one. Last week we gave away a copy of Andrew's book, More Grace, More Favor. And I want to congratulate Scott Rollins. Scott, you won that. You should be getting an email shortly on how you can claim that gift. And this week we're giving away Andrew's book, The True Nature of God. Um, if you haven't read this book by Andrew, you need to. This is one of those life-changing revelations uh, that will really bless you and help you to walk in the grace of God. You know, we get confused as we read the Old Testament, read the, read the New Testament. We think on the one hand, God's angry about to, you know, burn the world up. On the other hand, he died for our sins. Which one really is the true nature of God? You need to get this book and uh, you can get a free copy. You'll be eligible for a free copy by becoming a subscriber to Truth and Liberty. Um, also, this is an interactive program. We want to hear from you tonight. You can post your questions and your comments uh, in the comment section on Facebook or in the chat uh, function there on our website. And we'll try to get to those tonight. Uh, so be sure to post those questions. Listen, we are doing, God is doing some amazing things here at Truth and Liberty, isn't he, Pastor Mark? We just Absolutely. finished an election cycle for school board members where we had some amazing results. And uh, we've, uh, he's just unloaded more, downloaded more plans in our heart that we feel like we have the ability to do. And we do what we do through the generosity of our donors. If you'd like to be a part of what we're doing, you can, you can uh, become a member today by going on our website to the donate page and signing up to give a recurring automatic donation of at least $5. So $5 or more per month and you'll become a Truth and Liberty Coalition member. And if you do, we'll send you a free copy of Alex McFarland's book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. I tell you, this is a timely, timely book. You want to get that today. Become a member and we'll send that to you in the mail. And the last thing I want to mention is if you, if you uh, would like someone to agree with you in prayer tonight, uh, Andrew has a room full of trained, spirit-filled, Word of God trained uh, prayer ministers standing by. Just call into 719 uh, 635-1111 and someone will uh, be glad to minister to you and agree with you in prayer. So that's all I've got here. I'm going to kick it back to Pastor Mark. Awesome. I tell you, Richard, when I found out Sean Smith was going to be with us tonight, I was so excited. We want to welcome you, uh, Sean. Thank you for being with us tonight. And I first heard you at the Culture Impact Team a couple of different times. What I appreciate about you is you take the highly complex stuff and you reduce it down to where somebody even like me could understand it. And that's quite a, quite a task. And I want to let you tell us about your background, but I just wanted to share this. 25 plus years active duty in space, missile operations director and test manager for operational testing of weapons systems. And then there's a whole litany of things, but tell us your background. 
What did you do in the military and how did you get involved with what you're doing right now? So, uh, so first, thanks. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate both of you, the invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be here and for me to represent the, uh, all the volunteers that are working so hard with U.S. Election Integrity Plan and, and other grassroots. My uh, military background was focused on operations, based in missile operations, mostly space. I only spent the first three and a half years or so in uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, nuclear missile operations. And the rest of the time was in uh, one type of space operations or another. Quite a bit of it operational, so operating the systems, part of operational crews or leading operational crews, and then uh, some command time with an operational squadron. In that time, you know, you get these career broadening assignments, and so I got exposed to doing operational testing. I really didn't like operational testing. I didn't, not because the testing was bad, but because you're dealing with program offices that have to acquire the systems, and they're under this constant pressure, essentially uh, to fudge uh, and sometimes to outright lie about what's happening with their schedule and performance and on our job as operational testers and I always used to say you know if you could be trusted we wouldn't even exist our job was to say what was true no matter what about the systems and to make sure that the systems could fight because lives were going to be uh, on the line and, and national mm. security was going to be dependent on these systems and uh, and I thought when I finished my tour as an operational tester a director of testing and an, an analyst for testing that I wouldn't have to do operational testing anymore and then I agreed very late in my career to go to uh, a research assignment at the Rand Corporation where the Air Force has fellows and I knew that taking that assignment that my follow-on tour would be to the one place I never wanted to go which was the Pentagon and so I ended up in the Pentagon in really the only place that, that I could have survived uh, in the Pentagon in terms of organizations because I was part of a, what's called the Directorate of Operational Test and Evaluation. The gentleman there, the director, is an, a, a presidential appointee, a Senate confirmed. In theory, he's part of the Department of Defense, but in practice, he really only reports to the House and Senate Armed Services Committees. And as an officer there, you're responsible to execute that director's oversight over operational testing of all the weapon systems that are being tested in the Department of Defense. And because I'm my space background, I was in the position as being the senior military evaluator for space systems. I had a partner who was a civilian. He did all the satellite communications. It was a good trade because I didn't want to do satellite communications. I did every space system that wasn't satellite communications and then some additional systems. So in that role, I got exposed even more to operational testing, to more training and experience. I read, reviewed, and commented on hundreds of plans. I drafted testing standards for uh, space systems in the Department of Defense and had a lot of exposure to the threats to our systems, not just space systems, but all of them. We hardly have any systems anymore that aren't very computer dependent. Mm -hmm. And that computer dependency is that, you know, that the computers enable them to do things that were, you know, almost unimaginable before the computers, but they also make them critically vulnerable. And the cyber threat, whereas 20 years ago, we were way out in front of, of all our potential adversaries, they've caught up. And so the cyber threat is really significant. We're losing, uh, somewhere between three quarters of a trillion and a trillion dollars worth of state secrets and critical uh, technology advantages per year 
to our adversaries. They're, they're compromising our defense contractors, they're compromising our weapon systems. And, and so when I left active duty, I stayed on to help my old office with some what we call adversarial assessment. And so I got, without naming the specific countries or the specific systems that are, that are compromised by these, um, this compromise of data and systems, uh, I just became aware at an even more significant level of the threat against U.S. systems. So does that mean like hacking our computer systems or is it with personnel? Um, well, the, so the, the paths to get to the information are diverse, but uh, let's say you were a manufacturer of, of automotives, and let's say those automotives were a key part of U.S. economic activity or a key mm. part of U.S. national security activity. So if I can get into your computers that are used for the manufacture of those systems, I can introduce flaws. I can uh, extract or exfiltrate information that would allow me to target the vulnerabilities in those systems, I'll know their exact performance limits. Maybe I introduce um, modularity into a component that is responds to a particular radio frequency signal so that when I want your car to stall, I can cause it to happen. So all of those things are possible when you have computer dependencies. Wow, so how, so when I've heard you, this election integrity thing in America, um, there's just so much stuff, and I know we can't rely upon what I call the lamestream media. I think America, you know, we're not stupid, okay? The overall mass of people, something's not adding up. How did you end up getting involved with what you're doing with election integrity and all that? It was an accident. I uh, was sitting at my house and uh, had voted. It was on election day of 2020. I had voted. And I made the mistake of looking at a news article in Colorado that talked about voter turnout. And, and it just seemed, the, the numbers they were quoting, the percentage turnout just seemed strange to me because, so I hadn't read anything about elections before, no election, no information about election systems, voting systems, procedures. If it hadn't been something I'd held in my hand, like a you know, mail-in ballot or something, I couldn't have told you anything about how the elections were conducted. Mm. And, uh, but that was the catalyst. So, so I read that article and I thought, I wonder if that's true. And so I went to the Colorado Secretary of State site and started looking for what data was available about voter registration statistics. And, and I found some older data, but I couldn't find the current data. And then I found out that you had to pay for access to some of the current data. And so I went about trying to find other people who had access to that prior information. And, and so I got some of the data, did some of the analysis, and when I realized um, some, of the, some of the trends that the data were showing, I thought, this doesn't seem right. And then that, that led me to read more. So I'd mentioned I'd been in a research assignment at the RAND Corporation. I'd done a lot of other research in my military career. You know, I had completed a couple master's degrees, so I was pretty familiar with doing in-depth research. I'm a trained researcher by the government, in effect, a trained analyst. And uh, so I started reading the documentation for the voting systems. And when I got to that documentation and I read the test report, that was the first time when I really knew we were in trouble because I'm intimately familiar with what it requires to test a system to determine whether or not it's vulnerable or secure against a nation state level threat. And, and at a lay person's level, what was it that triggered in you something's wrong? Well, I read, I read the, the testing plan and the testing reports for the voting systems that we're using in Colorado, and they were so, uh, the term I use is grossly inadequate, so they were so incomplete. 
the, the testing that I'm familiar with that's necessary to test a system against a nation state level cyber threat or even an advanced um, you know, criminal cyber threat, the testing, uh, you couldn't even write the introduction in the, in the span of what, what completed the testing report for Colorado's voting systems. Mm. So, and, the, and then I knew that if you're a, a government official and you're responsible to certify the systems or make sure that they're secure, that testing report couldn't possibly tell you enough for you to make that decision. And if you don't know that, then, then you're the wrong person to be making that decision. You're well, really in a bad way. Was there a possibility that there was more information or was this pretty inclusive of what, they, what you had read and was presented? Or? It, it described their additional standards. So in, so in Colorado, there's what they call a requirements matrix. And the requirements matrix is an Excel workbook with spreadsheets that have you know, like a single uh, row for each of the requirements out of Colorado's explicit uh, specific standards and then Colorado's uh, mandatory. So under state law in Colorado, the 2002 voting system standards from the Federal Election Commission are a mandatory minimum standard for okay. certification. Mm -hmm. And so there's a there's a row for each one of those standards. But in, in testing, you know, in the testing environment, we call that a compliance-based testing. So if you have a checklist and you just go down the checklist and you check things off, that's compliance-based testing. And it's extremely weak. It's in compared to the requirement to verify that the systems are um, either vulnerable or the degree to which they're vulnerable or secure. Now, all that you're talking about, if you want to punish me, make me study <laughs> that kind of stuff. So tonight, here we've got an attorney, Richard, mm -hmm. you've got a legal background and then Sean it just amazes me some of the things you've been Richard what does it mean if we don't have election integrity well obviously if there's no if our elections aren't reliable then we don't have a real republic do we if someone else is controlling the outcome of our elections through vulnerabilities in our system then it's no longer consent of the governed right our whole constitution becomes sort of a ruse it's all based on the accuracy of our elections and so i, I view this as a critical issue and one that the nation really can't move forward until this is uh, addressed satisfactorily that's my opinion uh, but you're you're the computer expert here what what did you do after you discovered that the uh, so-called certification was inadequate to prevent um, shall we say interference so um, so I, so I would I don't want to correct you but but I have to say I'm not a computer expert okay and so so compared to the layperson maybe who hasn't done the reading or didn't get the, the have the privilege of all the training I've had um, I might seem like one but the people that I've worked with in the Department of Defense uh, are so good and so expert that I, and I say this, and I, people think I'm joking, but I'm not joking. They have to slow down to explain things to me. Well, you're, you're an expert on systems testing. Would that I be am. accurate? Okay. That's accurate. All right. Yeah, so, um, so the question was. What know, did you do after you discovered that the certification was not really adequate? Uh, I just kept reading, so I started reading. I, I read every document that I could find about the voting systems, about the testing, about the testing companies, about the people who did the verification of security testing of, for example, the risk limiting audit, about the people who developed uh, the techniques, about the organization, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission and its standards. Uh, I started reading statutes. So I'm, so once I'm, once I have my teeth sunk into something, I'm a voracious consumer of information. 
and uh, and I just I don't stop until I know what's true. That's what I want really is to know what's true. That's our that's our objective. So now you're <clears throat> you're working for or consulting with the U.S. Election Integrity Plan, right? That's US right. CIP. That's right. And um, do we have a website for them? I think we can put that up for people who want to learn more about that organization. It, it, it's the USEIP.org. USEIP.org. There you go. So your your uh, review of information and analysis. Can you, uh, for our viewers, maybe just condense it down into this is in a nutshell what I found in in the course of my analysis. Um, I know that's a that's a big lift. <laughs> it's a big nutshell. So so um, so I would say there is no good reason for any citizen in the United States uh, to have any confidence whatsoever in the outcome of our elections, or an election conducted in this architecture of systems. Uh, at every turn, the systems and procedures that should be safeguards of our electoral franchise have been compromised. Uh, and I can't say whether it's all by, uh, by malicious intent, but I can say that the effect of it is such that we have no guarantee that our votes um, are counted in, and that they're not diluted by ineligible voters and, uh, and you know, votes that should never have been in the mix. So whether it's, whether it's the registration system, so a lot of this began under 2002 uh, Help America Vote Act. So there's a system of incentives and, and uh, restrictions. So, and I keep using this example because it usually people, it's really salient for people. So down in Texas, everybody remembers what happened this last year where they almost lost their subsector, their grid subsector, where they had problems with production from their wind turbines and from their solar plants. Yeah, they had an ice scale. storm, right? Uh, That's right. Yeah. And they, they almost lost their section of the grid, which could have been, I mean, that could have been pretty catastrophic. As it was, they had people without power and you know, hospitals without power. I mean, it was a tremendous impact. Well, how did they get to that point? How they got to that point was they had a regulatory environment that had the deck stacked against fossil fuel generation or nuclear generation, which both have the ability to accommodate surges and both have a very good track record of availability. And, and they had the deck stacked against that in the regulatory environment. And, and at the same time, there was no such regulatory uh, restriction or impotence to the non-fossil fuels, to the renewables. And then they had a grant uh, structure, which was a system of incentives. So, so if you were in Texas and you were a utility commission and you wanted to replace or add to your power plants, um, the incentives against fossil fuels, which are reliable, and for the renewables, which are not particularly reliable, um, the extent of that system of incentives was severe. And so it wasn't like anybody came and said, well, you have to have wind turbines and you cannot have a nuclear plant. But the net effect of those incentives of the restrictions and the block grant programs was such that it really, that, you know, it was fait accompli. And it's been the same with uh, Help America Vote Act and the system of grants and requirements that it is imposed on states. So, so it offers the carrot of the funding to the states and at the same time says, but to get that funding, you must have a centralized voter registration system, right? And, and, and you must have uh, mail-in ballots. And you must have certain sort of uh, restrictions on your maintenance of your voter registration. Hold on a second. What do you mean? Restrictions on maintenance of your voter registration? So, so for example, and Colorado is a great example, in Colorado, 
it, you can't remove a voter from the voter rolls as a public official, essentially unless they've, unless they've come to you and tell you that they're dead. <laughs> or unless they, unless they send Don't you. think that will ever happen. <laughs> no, uh, so, so, so I'll give you a good example. So under, so Colorado's a member of the Eric States Electronic Registration Information Compact. And then, and then there are also these statutory restrictions. And so you get people, Eric States gives information to the member states about people that they should ask if they, if they should be uh, on the voter rolls. And then the member states have to send this postcard to those individuals, and if they don't respond back, and if the if it, the post office doesn't say it's undeliverable, and the individual doesn't respond back and say no, then they get added to the voter rolls, and uh, and then uh, so it's a it, maybe people would relate to this. It's an automatic. You're automatically opted in, and you have to intentionally opt out if you don't want your name removed from the voter rolls. Well, yeah, so. and I would I would say that name is opted in. I'm I'm not confident that there is a person. Uh, on the other end of each of those postcards. Okay, gotcha. Okay, and, so and then, and then on top of that, because the systems are computerized and centralized, you know, they're they're just like all the other computerized systems in the country. They're not securable. Well, so we've been hearing a lot. At least people that are paying attention to this subject, I think, uh, have been hearing a lot about inflated voter registration rolls or uh, dirty rolls. In other words, where they're not. Uh, <clears throat> There's lots of people in the roles that don't live there anymore, aren't citizens, that kind of thing. Um, is that part of the problem? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. And why does that matter? Why can't we have more people on the rolls if they're not voting? Who cares? Why, why does it matter? So we don't know if they're voting or not. We, we don't know if all the votes being cast. So the, it's not, a lot of people want to know if there's a quick fix or if there's one thing they can do, or sometimes they'll give you a list of three, like give me three things we could do. I've had, I've had state uh, representatives or state legislators ask me, you know, give me the top three things. The problem is it's not three things. So, so when you have a, every, you know, what was the Einstein said, everything should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. So the architecture, this ecosystem of rules and laws, procedures, physical systems, training, it, it's, all, it's all contributing. And, and I think of them sort of like going to get dim sum, you know, where there are a lot of different things you can choose and the pattern of which they're used in a particular location is different from all other locations. So, um, so you know, it's not just the centralized voter registration well, systems, it's mail-in ballots. So I, I get that, I'm just trying to help take it one thing at a time. Why is, why is it bad to have inflated voter registration rules? How does that impact the reliability of the election. So, um, so there's essentially no verification. I mean, it's it's a the verification is a sham that the that the people are actually people and they're actually at the location that the system says they're located. So, you know, like Colorado is a great example. You can you you're required to have identification, but the identification uh, isn't what anybody would call ID. Like you could never use these IDs to buy cigarettes or to buy a beer, or to get on a plane. If you want to do any of those things, you have to have a photo ID, but to vote, your ID could be a utility bill. And they have no way of verifying whether that's really your utility bill or really your address. You, if you have you know, PowerPoint or Photoshop, you can make a utility bill for any address and name you want. And that's just to register, right? That's to register and to vote. Well, like, uh, well, we live in Colorado, fill out our ballot. Uh, drop it in the mail, there's no ID element there. That's correct. The only time you're required to include ID 
in that uh, ballot in that you person. mail back is if you're if it's your first time voting by mail. Mm -hmm. But again, the ID that you can send doesn't have to be photo ID. You can have uh, an ID is a, a proof of percentage of Indian blood. This is a real thing. It's in Colorado statute. You can find that form on the internet, and you can create one yourself that says anything you want. This is why when we were giving this briefing in April to legislators in Colorado, I had created, just for the sake of an example, a certificate of Indian blood for Secretary of State uh, Griswold and had indicated that she was 100% Aleutian uh, Indian, so which I'm sure would be a surprise to her, but that would have been sufficient for me to vote as her in any voting center in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So uh, studying all this, you've uh, identified vulnerabilities in the computer voting machines and sure. the different systems. Can you summarize that? Um, well, they're uh, vast and unquantified. So well, if, you, if you look at the, um, so I would say, first of all, they're critically vulnerable. The voting systems to begin with were um, mostly the computers that are used in them were manufactured overseas uh, with no supply chain security, no oversight from any uh, US governmental or even really a contract body. So these are systems that were ordered from overseas factories under the name mostly from Dell. They were manufactured mostly either in China or some of them in Mexico by foreign workers with no security oversight and, and mostly of Chinese-made components. So there's no way to be sure ever that those systems are secure. There's nothing you could do now. There's nothing we could do. We could, we could, bend, we could spend trillions of dollars trying to verify those systems are secure. It's too late. They're already corrupt from the beginning. So uh, I remember after the 2020 elections, um, some of these voting machine companies were saying publicly, oh, they can't be connected to the internet. They're not connected to the internet. Is that true? Uh, no. So we heard, that from, we heard that from Colorado public officials as well until we confronted them with the information that we had that there were, in fact, wireless modems inside our voting systems in Colorado. And we verified that in numerous other states. So like up in Antrim, Michigan, I think it was uh, Allied Security Operations Group that was working for the attorney, uh, Matt DiPerno, identified that there were um, unacknowledged TELIT modem chips uh, inside the ESNS computers. We verified that in Colorado's voting systems, there are dual band Wi-Fi and Bluetooth modems inside Colorado voting systems, both, both inside the Dominion systems and inside the, um, the uh, clear vote, the clear ballot, clear vote systems. Why is that a problem, obviously? Well, so. Explain that. So they're required by state uh, law and rule, right? They're required not to be connected to the internet during operation. And, and no matter what a public official tells you, so, so there's no public official in the state of Colorado that has the authority or the ability to go in and review all the code or firmware in those systems. And not only don't they have the ability, they don't have the capacity to do it, there are thousands of those systems. So when would they be observing them to make sure you know, their modem, it'd be, like, it'd be like trying to figure out right now for somebody sitting next to you if this antenna in their smartphone was on. Well, Sean, there's so much to talk about. We could probably talk for hours. Um, there was an audit done in the state of Arizona, and that report is now public. Um, I, uh, did you find that to be significant, the results of that audit, or did it inform us of anything public? Now, you probably already knew all these things. <laughs> but, I, I, I but didn't, actually. What were the significant uh, results of that audit in your judgment? Um, so first of all, there. 
As, as, as with a lot of things, the, the mainstream media have completely and totally misrepresented what, what the results of the audit told mm -hmm. you. The audit told you, so the first thing they said was they told you the count of the ballots. And, uh, and it's a little bit like opening up somebody's wallet and counting the bills in it and saying, oh, there's five $20 bills in there, therefore that's $100. Well, there are five $20 bills in there, but they told you that at least one out of every five bills in that wallet, they can't verify that they're not counterfeit. And so, so the mainstream media has by and large represented that audit as if it was a count, and it right. wasn't a count. It was a count, and then it was also a verification of the provenance of the ballots. And part of that is you have to match up the ballots that you have with the people that the state says voted and with the people in Arizona that the state says requested the absentee ballots, and they couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So they have thousands and thousands of ballots that they can't verify are legitimate ballots. Right, so I think they, uh, I, I think we brought some of that here, um, here today, or I had, I had notes on that, but they, they, they showed how many, uh, 23,000 ballots where the people no longer lived at the address corresponding to their voter registration, 9,000 some odd who had moved out of the state, I think, and on and on it goes. Um, uh, what do you make of all those findings? Is that significant? Well, yeah, that should be, so, so, you, so what we're hearing from, from state officials is that they need the attorney general to state conclusively that there was fraud. Um, but that's not true. Mm -hmm. so, so they know enough right now that there are enough ballots that are in question that they should be decertifying the results. Mm -hmm. And the reason they should is because they don't know if they were legitimate ballots or not. Mm -hmm. You know, essentially they had a count of ballots that included both legitimate, verifiable, and ballots that are not verifiable. If they're not verifiable, if you don't know whose vote they were or if they're even an eligible voter, then you shouldn't be certifying any results based on that count. And then, and then that's before you, uh, what you just described is before you even get to the canvas. So you know the, the state senate's directed canvas originally had within the scope of work um, a canvas of uh, voters, right? Door to door, verification of voters. And they ended up excluding that from the scope of work specifically because of the pressure exerted by um, combination of the Department of Justice and by uh, leftist legal groups engaged in lawfare Principally, um, you know, Mark Elias and, and, and his group, you know, Perkins Coie weighed right. in. I mean, they brought more attorneys into that than I think the state Senate had engaged. Mm -hmm. And that happened very early. And then the media, you know, with both the pressure and the misrepresentation. Yeah. Sean, I can just hear some people thinking and asking, and I know the nutshell that you were talking about is massive. This is actually really disturbing me the more that I hear, because we, we seem to have a short memory. We hear things on the news and then another story breaks or another crisis breaks out and then we forget. But really, Richard, you said it earlier, we don't have a country, we don't have a republic if we don't have a fair voting system. So I can just hear people saying, what can we do to, to begin to correct this? Did I hear you mention 2002? that some things started that began to open the door to corrupt our voting system and what have you. But back to the question of what is it that we can do to, to right this? So, um, 
So I, I start always with, and, and I start with the mea culpa. So I was not engaged. So you asked how I got engaged in this. I got engaged in this by accident. And then I got connected to other citizens who had arrived at the same conclusions I had and from each from their own domain of expertise. You know, I think of some of the computer scientists and data scientists and people I work with. They each of them did their own research and then we met each other having, you know, seen the smoke and run towards the fire. And uh, and I'm grateful for them and for their, you know, commitment as well. Everybody Every citizen has to do the same thing. Before, before 2020, November 2020, I was not engaged as I should have been with vigilant oversight over my government. That, that period's behind me. You can't be um, an ignorant people and be a free people. So it's up to each of us and for us to collectively as the people, you know, to learn about these things, to become informed, and then to spread that word and then to demand accountability and transparency from our public officials. A lot of public officials want to pat you on the head and tell you everything's okay. They've got a story to tell you. And just like with everything else, you know, they have incentives for us to believe that and for to leave the administration to them. We're long past that point. So people have to become involved by informing themselves. And then what we demand. So we have uh, a draft of what we call the Colorado plan. It's a, it's a, election integrity platform that specifies some, some explicit measures. So the things that we have to get rid of in order to have an, a voting system, an election system that we can trust. Is that on your website that we put up on? It will be, it will be. We've okay. got the draft and I'm just, you know, we, we hop between things that we have to get done. And so sometimes I'm the bottleneck. I think this is one where I'm the bottleneck again, where I have to get those posted. We've shared it with some friends and gotten some feedback. The gist of it is, uh, you can't trust the voter registration systems while they're centralized. They're, the computers are just as vulnerable as any other computer. You know, the, the people that tell you that they're protecting election systems, the, the CISA, right, federal government, they're the same people who were supposed to be protecting JBS Foods and the Colonial Pipeline. That didn't work out very well. I mean, the best people we have in our country in cyber defense are probably in corporations like Microsoft and Amazon, and they've been hacked. Didn't we just have the, somebody hack the FBI Yes, they did. Uh, and sent out over 100,000 emails from the FBI to... Yes, they did. Yeah. It'll happen again and again. Uh, the threat has this massive incentive mm -hmm. to, to find vulnerabilities and exploit them. And cyber defense is just part of what public officials do. Even the very best that we have in the Department of Defense, you know, obviously, if they were going to protect something, they'd, they'd protect the joint staff network. Sean, I, I, we're, we're getting real close to needing to take some questions. If it's okay, I got one more question for you. Um, uh, the audit in Arizona reported that, they, uh, that there were uh, files deleted. Now, this was just one county that they audited, Maricopa County, the largest county in Arizona. But, but that the uh, computer files on these voting machines uh, had been deleted and they did not have access to them. And it's my understanding that the same thing has happened in Colorado, as we know from Mesa County. Can you comment on this? What, what's going on here? What happened? Sure. And why is that important? Sure, and anybody can see this if they go to the USCIP.org site, they can see a link to the uh, forensic audit report that was submitted by the forensic cyber evaluator in the court case, in the Peters case in Mesa County. Colorado. In Mesa County, Colorado. So. So the uh, forensic cyber report for Mesa indicated that 
thousands of and thousands of log files. So that's the same as Maricopa. In Maricopa, they also had election management system database was deleted. That's not what was found in Mesa. But in Mesa County, what was found was that in comparison between the before and after the upgrade, the upgrade modification of the, of the voting system, that a log files were deleted. And those log files are specified by the 2002 voting system standards from the Federal Election Commission as required in order to be able to audit an election system to determine what happened on it during election. And so those, those criteria for producing and retaining those log files those are in the, the voting system standards, and that's mandatory under Colorado state law. And then preservation of those records is mandatory, mandatory under both federal and state law. You know, we had uh, Tina Peters on our show a few months ago, and uh, it's my memory that she said that, yeah, this, this happened when the Secretary of State announced that the manufacturer of the software, Dominion, uh, was going to do an update, so-called, of the machines, and that uh, they went through and did this in, in the 62 out of 64 counties in Colorado have these machines, and they did it across the board. And I asked her, is this going on in other states? And she said, yes, it is. And evidently, it happened in Arizona, although I don't know if those are Dominion machines. They are. It may be other machines, but throughout the country. Um, is this a little bit hasty on their part, updating these <laughs> machines? Well, it's, um, you know, the public officials, so I can't, I don't know that I can blame the vendor, although I believe what they do is illegal. But, uh, you know, I'm not an attorney. That's up for prosecutors, and I really wish that a district attorney would look into it, mm -hmm. you know, as is their sworn obligation. You know, let me just say here, uh, if a district attorney or an attorney general would do that, would just look into this and they find, oh, there's no violation of law here, fine, we go on. But to not look into it at all is a, uh, it's derogation of duty. It's a breach of your duty and your obligations. So I just want to throw that out there as an attorney. There's no, no reason not to do it. Well, and they're, they're bound by, so, so once, that, once that cyber expert submitted that report, which has the effect of being an affidavit submitted to the prosecutor, in Mesa County, he has an obligation under Colorado state law yeah. to investigate, and he has not fulfilled that obligation. But uh, so anyway, so where, where were we on the? I lost the I lost the plot there. Yeah, I think I think I interrupted you, and I don't remember Pastor Mark. So <laughs> you get this is. Uh, We've got a ton of questions here if you're ready to go there. Or I think we ought to go to some questions maybe and get. I'm curious to what some of the folks are uh, feeding back to us here. Yeah, a great uh, great deal of questions here. So. Um, Linda on chat asks, what is your opinion of the risk limiting audit? Now, Colorado says everything's fine. We did a risk limiting audit. W why is that not sufficient? Uh, well, it's a, it's a, it's kabuki theater. So I'll say that. First of all, Colorado's risk limiting audit is the assertion that if you randomly select a sufficient number of ballots in a specific way, and then you compare them to the paper ballots and to the computer generated, the voting system generated results, that you will have effectively reduced the risk of there being an error in the election results. In the first place, it can only verify the tabulation from the system. It can't verify that the ballots themselves are authentic, that the voters were eligible, can't do that. In the second place, we shouldn't even have any confidence that it's actually verifying the tabulation. The reason we shouldn't is because even though, and this gets cited over and over again, the risk limiting audit software is open source, only the original draft of that software was, was actually available to the public. Once it was produced, 
off it went into this black box controlled by the Secretary of State. So the software is opaque to citizens. The hardware it runs on is opaque to citizens. It never gets an independent assessment or audit from any third party outside state control. And the only people that ever did a security audit on it are a company called Security Compass, a Canadian company. And the engineers that were involved are, uh, were all trained at uh, Sharif University in Tehran. So, so I don't have any confidence whatsoever in the system. And then, and then, then I could get into the dice rolls and that kabuki theater, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a farce to assert. And the, and the people who assert that it somehow provides uh, a guarantee that we should trust, um, I would say, and to be kind about it, don't have the slightest idea of what they're talking about. Mm. Wow. Well, l let me just push back on you for the sake of argument. Hey, sure. Just a minute. We, we just had another election uh, <laughs> and there were, uh, great results for Republicans uh, around the country in Virginia, in school boards, in a couple governor's races. You know, I mean, well, the Virginia governor's race, the New Jersey was close. Um, <clears throat> doesn't, don't those tend to show that everything's okay with the system? Um, if you've ever been to a casino and, uh, and you win a little bit as an encouragement to keep you in the game until you lose it all, then you understand what likely happened in the election. First of all, I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not to say that 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 you never get a fair result, but I doubt that you get a fair result when it matters, unless the cost is higher to to anybody who would want to change the results. Well, one of the things in Virginia that I think happened was that they organized poll watchers and and election judges, regular citizenry, that's right, uh, far beyond what was normal, and kind of flooded the polling places. Now Virginia does not did not use a mail-in system either, is my understanding. So now there were absentee ballots, but not like Colorado, where everybody gets a ballot in the mail and you mail it in. Um, do you think that uh, limited the ability for people to interfere with the results? So, so I think having more observers always helps. Mm -hmm. um, having better trained observers always helps. Mm -hmm. uh, they also, my understanding, so they had ballot drop boxes. So the difference I think is that uh, they didn't necessarily have no excuse mail-in ballots for everyone. And so they had these drop boxes. And uh, my understanding is they were also watching the drop boxes. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty important. So, so there was a group that reported uh, and showed video Right, they had video of mules down in Georgia during the November 2020 election, drop shoving large numbers of ballots into ballot drop boxes. Mm. It, in a place like Colorado, in theory, that couldn't happen, right? Because we have video of all those drop boxes, except nobody ever reviews the video. Right? There's no, and there's no, yeah. there's no, no verification that there haven't haven't been more than 10 ballots inserted by a specific person, or or that even all the ballots that are supposed to be coming from drop boxes, I mean, whoever reviews all the ballots, it's never happened. Well, I have a, a, one more question for you, Sean, that to me is really, really important, and it is this. A lot of people, I think, conservatives and Republicans are reacting to this, this situation by saying, well, it doesn't matter, my vote doesn't get counted, so I'm not gonna bother voting. Is that exactly the wrong thing to think at this point in time? Yeah, I would say so. I would say, you know, I mean, let's say hypothetically there is somebody who would like to control our country and not have uh, the outcome of elections determined by citizens. Um, having any individual or groups of individuals um, discouraged and dissuaded from participation is exactly what they would like. You know, at that point it gets easier and easier to get the outcome that somebody would want, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to a citizen selected or a citizen's, you know, cho choice in the outcome. Right. So 
um, you know, my response is that we need to be more involved and not less. Yeah. We need to be, uh, and this is why we want more local control over voter registration, why we want uh, precinct level hand counts of paper ballots, because it's a lot harder when you can get right in the face of an elected official who you can replace if they don't do the will of the people. It's a lot harder for them to do something that would defraud people of their vote or that would corrupt the election. Well, here's a bunch more questions. Let's see if we can get any of these. Um, uh, this person asks, what is happening now, or what they say what tools are taking place, but what, what's being done now to stop uh, uh, this uh, necessary reforms and system testing? What do you know about that? Um, so there are a lot of citizens in a lot of states right now that are pressing for uh, full independent forensic audits, and that's what's necessary to really get at the truth. So if you want to know what's true in an election, you have to look at the ballots themselves, the ballot envelopes. You have to look at the voting systems with you know, a cyber forensic audit, not just counting the ballots, not just counting the envelopes, although, yes, counting them, but also looking at them forensically to see if they've been marked by a human or by a machine to see if the ballot signatures are actually printed or if they were written by hand. And then there, there has to be some independent verification that the signatures on them where states require them. I mean, a lot of states, they, they just counted ballots without a signature on the envelope. That happened in Wisconsin. Uh, so, so you have to get to the full independent forensic audits. And then the second thing that's happening is citizens are pressing to dispense with the systems that, um, that make uh, corruption and vulnerability possible. So, so right now there are citizens demanding that there are legislators, and we're gonna try to make that easier with the election integrity platform. So we're gonna try to turn that into a, a survey that, that candidates for office can respond to so that in Colorado and other states, they can see whether their public officials agree with them or not, that we need to get rid of the centralized voter registration systems, that we need to get rid of the no excuse mail-in ballots, that we need to make sure we have photo ID on election day to vote, and that we have hand counts of uh, paper ballots at the precinct level, instead of the scanning with computer systems that we shouldn't and can never trust. And you know, Sean and Richard, one of the things I think, when you hear this stuff, if you don't see what's really going on, it kind of is like, what you said, some people, why, should, why even vote? My vote doesn't count. And you won't get this watching television on the news, but there is a real stirring in the country everywhere. We just saw some massive turnaround in school boards. And uh, on Sunday, for the last couple Sundays at, at CFAN, I show a picture in, it's from a Wichita, Kansas city council room packed with men. And uh, I said, boy, I bet you there's a lot of pickup trucks in the parking lot there. These guys are just kind of looking like that. People are showing up. And I think what I heard you say that, that there is hope that we can turn this around, but it's not gonna happen without the people getting involved. Nope. And a lot of the, what I find is news is no longer news. It's a narrative that is being put upon the people. And the fact of it is there's stirrings going on all over this nation. People have had it and they want truth. Yeah. And it's really not a Democrat, Republican thing when you come to the citizenry of the United States. It's the truth, we want the truth. And without this election integrity, we don't have it. And Sean, you know, this doesn't sound like you get to this once a week. You almost sound full time at this. Do you work 
too, or how do you find time to do all this? No, this is what I do. So I'm, I'm retired from active duty, and I'm, I'm technically, so I, I could be working as a contractor and doing, you know, something re more closely related to what I did on active duty, but, but this is, uh, I, I, I can't see anything more important. I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to be doing this full time, but I cannot, uh, you know, I, uh, I owe people, I owe people. I have an obligation to citizenship and to the uh, friends that I buried under the flag, and mm. uh, and so I can't overlook the duty. I see that I have the responsibility to pursue this until we get to the truth and restore election integrity. And I think what you're saying, Sean, is being repeated millions of times over in America here, <clears throat> that that patriotism is rising up, and that people are realizing that you know we can't just sit on the bench anymore, stay in the barracks. We got to get out and on the field. And this is happening everywhere. And hearing what you're doing, I think is repeated so many times and it blesses me to hear that. I know that as a pastor, I'm done being silent about things that matter. And uh, I just got over trying to be pastoral about certain things because there's certain people that just don't want to hear it. And that's okay, that's their right. But what we're dealing with right here is really our, our future, our country, our nation of what our founding fathers paid a huge price for. Um, That's right. Richard, do we have a chance to get to another question? Yeah, uh, yes, uh, we, we do. Um, one of the questions before we do that, though, I want to ask you, what can our viewers do to support the work of uh, the organization USCIP? Well, first I would say there's no substitute for being involved. And so if you have time and the inclination, if you see the, that you have a, you know, if you, if you want to be a free people, get involved, show up to meetings, meet the other like-minded, get informed, and then take action. Is there a way to go on the website there and, and say, there, hey, I want to help? There is, yeah. So so there are a lot of different, you know, we, we work with every election integrity group, every grassroots group. You know, we don't, you don't have to put on the USEIP patch, you know, mm -hmm. and fly the flag. Uh, we, we work with everybody who wants election integrity and really works on it. But if you go to the USEIP.org site, there is a get involved tab there. And so you can volunteer and we'll connect you to other people, not just in Colorado, but nationwide. We'll connect you to the grassroots people that we know in each state so that you can find other people. And, and we're already working on making sure they have the same tools and information that we have. How about, and we get a lot from them too. How about donations? Is the organization oh, we, in need of finances? Uh, we don't take any donations. So we're doing everything out of pocket. There, there are, I think there's gonna be some chance, you know, we're, we don't talk too much about legal remedies, but we are pursuing legal remedies. And, uh, and, and that gets expensive, you know, filing fees and things like that and uh, attorney time. So we'll, we'll at some point put on information and if people wanna support, they'll be able to do that. But, but I, would take, I would take somebody's hour over somebody's $20 bill any day. So you're familiar with what's happened out in Mesa County, Colorado. Now out there we have uh, a county commissioner, uh, county commissioners that are uh, majority Republican. You have a district attorney that's a Republican. How is it that they, why, is this a Republican-Democrat issue? Why would Republicans not be on board with uh, uncovering and exposing all of this? I think this is a citizens versus the status quo issue. So unfortunately, public officials like those commissioners out there have every incentive and pressure put upon them. And it's very difficult for them in that environment to see what's true. It really takes someone with a spine of titanium like Clerk Peters to stand up and say something's not right. 
-hmm. I'm going to do my duty first. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I look at the commissioners out there. I mean, we, because of Open Records Act requests, we have pretty good insight into how they base their decisions and who they were working with. And at some point, we'll get to publicizing all of the kind of back-channel communications they had with journalists and, uh, and the people they relied upon for expertise uh, in assessing the forensic report who are not experts. So, so how did they get in that position? All the institutions that should be uh, defending uh, electoral integrity are instead pushing the architecture that enables all the vulnerabilities. So National Association of Secretaries of State, National Association of Election Directors, Colorado County Clerks Association, all of them to one degree or another push the narrative that our elections are secure when they're not and that uh, we should be moving towards more electronic and remote voting systems. And those are not secure and they never can be. Wow. Well, th that leads to maybe the last question we can take here as we're down to two and a half minutes. Are you getting pushback by those in the state government who are responsible for election integrity because they don't want to admit their inadequacy? Yes, so, uh, so we get smeared, you know, I've got, I've got core responses where I can see uh, public officials whom, whom I pay, whose salaries I help pay, calling me a proponent of the big lie, um, asserting that we are you know, somehow conspiracy theorists, really, really very contemptuous behavior from yeah. public officials. Yeah. And then uh, legislators, you know, we, so my first, the first thing that happened with election integrity is somebody sort of cajoled me into going up to do the uh, speak at the election audit committee hearing that the founders of USCIP had helped create, helped make happen. And, uh, and I got to see for myself just how little interest, unfortunately, one side of the aisle had in election integrity. Mm -hmm. So they had the opportunity to direct an audit by the state auditor, and they rejected that. And they also voted against even studying to determine if they should do an audit. So they had so little interest in it, they would, I mean, it's like they wanted to eliminate the word audit from the dictionary. Mm. It, was, it was sad and sobering to me. Wow. This has been insightful. And one of the thing, as I say, these are deep waters. <laughs> this is a huge subject, but it's so critical. And I want to encourage our viewers, you know, these shows are archived. I want to encourage you to make sure to share this with other people. And Sean, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, I think it'd be real difficult to say that you're in this for the wrong reason. Who wants to sign up for this? But Richard, something you said a little earlier, when people don't want to be investigated or answer certain questions, that ought, to, that ought to tell us a lot right there. But thank you, Sean and uh, Richard and Andrew for putting Truth and Liberty together here right. and yeah. allowing us to be able to talk about issues like this that are so critical. Yeah, amen, I think we're making a difference. I do too. Yeah. And, and it's awesome to see, I think one of the things as a nation gets away from God, the defenses depart. Because some of these things you're talking about shouldn't be happening. I was reading in Numbers uh, 14 today that the two, Joshua and Caleb said, their defenses have departed from them. But there is a great awakening that is happening. And uh, we're just about out of time, but uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Remember to uh, share this broadcast and uh, we'll see you next week. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 